Hallelujah. This morning we are going to begin a new series for the next several weeks. I always write in my notes that it's going to be the next several weeks, even though I know it's going to be the next several months. We're going to work our way through the Gospel of John. I want you to understand that this is not going to be just a quick couple of week thing, and so if we need to interrupt sections along the way, we will. But as I was praying for direction for this year, uh, praying that God would, you know, I don't know if you if you know that or not, but that's kind of what pastors do. We usually ask God to direct us where we're headed because um, we're trying to lead sheep. We're trying to lead people, so we ask God to direct us. So I really felt strongly impressed to look through the book of John and to begin working our way through the book of John. Now, you'll be happy to know that um, I, I've told you before when I do my sermons, I compile information, and then I start kind of whittling it down. Last night when I got started on this sermon, I had 43 pages, I'm down to 10, so that's a good thing. I'll use uh, more of that along the way. Uh, We're gonna learn about the life of John, or I'm sorry, the life of Jesus, and we're gonna begin to explore, but we're gonna look at it through the eyes of the apostle John. I want you to understand kind of how this works. Uh, John is the same John, uh, we're reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the, the Gospel of John. This is the same John that wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and he's also the same man who wrote the book of Revelation. We believe that by divine inspiration, God moved him to pen those um, words. So he has a real presence in the New Testament. John begins his epistle, um, the epistle of uh, first John, so we've got, this is the book we'll call Big John, then we've got first, second, and third, or Little John, and then we have Revelation. So in first John, uh, John begins it by writing this. John, uh, first John chapter one and verse one, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at with our hands and have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared and we have seen it and we have testified to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was in the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and we have heard so that you may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. John says, I'm gonna write them and write down everything that we saw, that we felt, that we touched. I want you to understand that. John's not just making up this story or going, boy, I kind of wonder what it was like to be with God. He's writing to you a story, if you will, an account of what he took place. From the beginning, John says, from the beginning, God was there. Christ was there. And we're telling you about what we have seen. So John knows something about the power of God. How many of you ever experienced the power of God in your life? That God wants to change or transform your life. He doesn't want to leave you the same as you were. Now some of us were okay and some of us were not so okay, but we all need changing. That's the reality. John, uh, a little bit about John. John was the son of Zebedee and Salome. He is the brother of James. Together they were called the sons of thunder. What does that tell you about the life of John? I mean, sometimes I tell you this over and over again, we read the Bible way too fast. You know, we just zip right through it and we don't think, well, why would they call him the sons of thunder? I mean, I can almost imagine John 
walking around with his turban on and his, you know, his garb, and maybe he's got a leather jacket, and he's got his sash, and on his sash he's got a chain and his wallet's hooked to that. I mean, I see him as kind of a tough dude. He's known him and James, they're sons of thunder, man. These guys are, they're probably pretty tough cats, right? Maybe it's just me who sees that way, but I can imagine him, you know, kind of decking out his camel a little bit, going to put some stones on it, and he's going to dress it up, a little bit of chrome on there. He's a tough guy. Okay, you all don't read your Bible the same way that I do. I can tell this. But you've got to slow down. So what is going on when, when they're right? John is also the same disciple in Luke, we're not gonna go there, but in Luke chapter nine, John comes to Jesus and he said, hey, there are other people out there trying to cast devils out in your name. You need to stop them from doing that. Like, like we got the corner on the market on this and nobody else should do that. John was one of those guys. Uh, John wanted Jesus to call down fire from heaven and destroy the Samaritans because they didn't receive Jesus. They didn't want to become his disciples. Think about that. Like, hey, please, please, just, just, they don't want to listen to you. Call down fire. We'll burn them all up. They don't, we'll show them. They don't want to listen. Come on, come on, you can do this. Okay, again, maybe I'm reading a little bit more in there, but this is who this, this is who he was. He was kind of, his mom, his mom went to Jesus and said, I got my two boys, I got James and John, I'd really like it if when it comes to eternity, when you go to heaven, if one could sit on your left and one could sit on your right. They are, after all, the sons of thunder. You're probably gonna want them alongside of you. You know, they're gonna dole. So this is who John is. And after being with Jesus for three years, walking with Jesus, learning from Jesus, John changes. He changes into this humble disciple. He's so humble that in the book of John, he doesn't even mention his own name. Simply in in John chapter 21, he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He he doesn't, doesn't want people to really think that much of him. He's the same guy that uh, that, that as he walked, he let God move. He became one of the disciples whose main focus was on learning to love one another. We read about that in 1 John chapter four. Again, this is little John. This is later on in the New Testament. But in 1 John chapter four, John says, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. And everyone who is born of God knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Same guy who years before was saying, call down fire. I mean, they're not listening to you. Burn them up. Call down fire. Bring judgment. Here he's saying, beloved, let us love one another. He's changed. He's different. John's gospel, to me as I read through John's gospel, It shows the power of God to transform lives. Not just just a little bit. Not like, you know, you used to murder people and now you don't murder people anymore, you're okay. But I mean really transform lives. Change lives. None of us, most of us, don't like change. But the reality is, if we don't change, we don't grow. 
God wants us to grow. John here, when he's writing this, is probably one of the last of the original disciples. He starts writing these books, John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and the book of Revelation. Uh, They estimate he was someplace between 80 and 90 years old. You're just sitting here, man. You're just too close. So it's like the gospel of Lowell. Lowell sits down and he begins to write about when he was in his 20s and his 30s, maybe a little bit later, maybe it was a little bit later than that. But he begins to write the story of how he encountered Jesus and how Jesus, he was in his 80s. Part of the reason he writes this is because he's one of the last original disciples. He wants people to know this is the God that we, we handled. Man, we were there. We knew him. It, again, it's like Lowell writing a story about a good friend. I had this good friend who died when he was 33 years old, but, and, he, and I only knew him for three or four years, but I want you to know what he was like. You see, if we have a reason, let me just go on a little tangent here. If we have a reason for believing what's in the Bible, it's not just because it comes in a black leather book. It's not just because people put it together. To me, if we're reading about Jesus, it's, we're listening to people that knew him. John hung out with him. They had dinner together. They talked together. They walked together. John saw the things that Jesus did, and he wrote them down for us. In, later on, we're going to start in the book in just a little bit, but later on in the book of John, John chapter 20 and verse 30, John writes this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you might believe in the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life in his name. He's 80 years old, and he says, the reason I'm writing all this down is so that you know what he was like. I was there. I knew him. I walked with him. I want you to not only know him, but I want you to believe in who he is. I want you to to get a picture of that. That's the purpose behind John writing it. We read in in, uh, Little John, in 1 John, the same type of thing. I want you to, to, I want to write this so that you believe. We handled him. Many other miracles, he says, are recorded. John records eight miracles plus the resurrection as a sign that Jesus was the Messiah. Now, when we read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you need to understand they're kind of written as biographies. So if I took Jim Hokinson in the back seat, and if I took Mike, and if I took Lowell, and uh, let's say I take Bruce, and I say, okay, you, you all know me, I want you to write stories about me, those stories, yeah, Vivian's just laughing. I'm not really sure what that's all about. Maybe you got something you need to share. Maybe you've shared a little bit more about Monday, Thursday morning breakfast. I'm not sure. But those stories are all gonna come out a little different, right? Because they know me in different ways. They've seen me in different places. They know me in different ways. Well, that's kind of the way that when we read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're like mini biographies and so we read about the experiences that 
these guys had. And let me just give you some examples of that. Part of it's based on their own history. Matthew, for example, when Matthew writes about Jesus, he writes about Jesus as the king. If you're interested in the kingship of Jesus, you're wondering how the disciples saw him as a king. If you're wondering how he was the promise of the Old Testament, read through the book of Matthew. Matthew talks about Jesus as the king more than anybody else in the New Testament. Uh, Matthew is also writing to the um, he's writing to the Jews he's saying I want you to believe here's the promise here's the promise of all he's the fulfillment of all these promises so Matthew writes about that way and so Matthew's theme is that Jesus is the Messiah and he is he's the Messiah that fulfilled the promises of the Old Testament Mark, on the other hand, Mark writes about Jesus as a servant of God, like a servant king, a servant leader. So Mark's theme is that, listen, if Jesus says it, he backs it up. You read through the book of Mark and you'll see preaching in action, preaching in action, preaching in action. That's what you'll see all throughout it. Mark looks at Jesus in a little bit different light. Uh, Luke, Luke was a doctor. Luke went into more detail probably than anybody else. Luke identifies Jesus as the son of man. He's fully God, but he's fully man. And so he looks at it from that perspective. And he writes it as this is a testimony so that you will believe. John, what we see in the book of John, as we go through and we read it, John um, is writing about Jesus as right out of the chute, right from the very beginning. He's writing about Jesus as the Son of God. And his main theme is that belief in Christ is required for salvation. If you want to have eternal life, if you want to leave this world and enter into the next one, if you want to have eternal life, you have to believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ, beginning and end of story, drop the mic, that's what John is preaching about. Matthew was writing to the Jews of his day. He's writing to tell them, listen, this is the guy that was promised. Mark is actually writing to the Gentiles and Rome. That's where his letter first goes. Luke is writing to the Greeks. Now, the Greeks were very detailed, very argumentative group in this day. They loved to go and and discuss new theories and theologies, and so that's why Luke is so detailed. John, on the other hand, John is writing to believers. He's writing to us, people who have believed. He wants us to be encouraged. So it might not mean much to you if I talk about that, but to me as a, as a, as a teacher, to me when we, when we preach, this stuff is gold. We have to understand the context of this writing in order to understand the text of it. You've got to understand who these guys are writing to. Someone a lot smarter than me put together a chart called the Harmony of the Gospels. I'm, we're not going to put it up. It's too long. It's multiple, multiple pages. But what they did is they went through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they said, okay, Matthew preached about all these topics. Boom, 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 boom. Mark preached about all these. Boom, boom, boom. Boom, 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 boom. Luke preached about all these. And John, well, John doesn't start till a little bit later. As a matter of fact, it's kind of amazing. We find that John does not talk about angels. He doesn't talk about Herod. He doesn't talk about Mary and Joseph. No shepherds, no inn, no Christmas. No, he doesn't talk about any of that. John does not, but neither does Mark. John, however, is the only one to write about John the Baptist's mission 
He writes about the first calling of the disciples. John is the one who writes about Jesus turning water into wine, about him cleansing the temple, about Jesus and Nicodemus, about the woman in the well, about the spiritual harvest, about the lame man healed by the pool of Bethesda. John is the one who writes all of those things. Nobody else writes those. Why? Because he saw life different. Because the disciples came from different perspectives. So I want you to understand as we go through this, that this is John's eyewitness account of Jesus and the power to change lives. So, if you are a fan of, or if you watch or observe the news at all, the things that are going on, you see that we live in a really crazy world. There's just so much going on around us. And as I was reading through the book of John multiple times in the last several weeks, the thing that strikes me is really the only hope for the world around us is someone like John who knew Jesus and is willing to tell us that story. Willing to say, you know what? There needs to be change in our lives. And this is the guy who can change us. We can argue about Uh, abortion, we can argue about gay rights, we can argue about Republicans and Democrats, and we can argue about what's right and what's wrong, but the truth of the matter is, what changes people is not whether I have a good argument or not. What changes people is Christ. There's recently been a survey, uh, it was uh, Barna, I think, did a survey, and 80 plus percent of of Americans, 80 plus percent believe, and they're asked, it was almost, it was, it was high 80s, like 88 or 89%, and believe that there is a God, 89%. And yet, the last census from Detroit Lakes shows that 30% of our community is totally unplugged and doesn't want anything to do with God. Uh, if you read about the direction that the church is going in the United States, what you find is culturally this group that we call nuns and duns, they either have none, they have no uh, church experience, or they're done, they've had church experience and they don't want any more church experience. That group is growing exponentially. That's the group in in Detroit Lakes. The nuns and duns has grown from 15% to 30% in the last 10 years. They don't necessarily like the church. But here's why. is because we get all critical about all kinds of things and we forget that Jesus loves us. Jesus took a guy like John who was known as the sons of thunder, one of the sons of thunder, and he's like, hey, you want to follow me? Because I got some things that you need to learn. By the way, you should probably get rid of the leather sash. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll lose the, uh, the trucker wallet. Yeah, but that'll come. That'll come. I, honestly, I don't think Jesus sat down with a whole bunch of rules to begin with. I think Jesus took him in and he loved him and he accepted him and he showed him who he was and he let his spirit begin to modify John's behavior. We were reading about this this week in our men's group. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, meekness, kindness out of the book of Galatians. That's the fruit of the spirit. That is the result the fruit of the, an apple is the fruit of a tree. It's the result of the tree. The apple is the result, right? 
The apple's not the deal. I mean, that's what we want is that fruit, but the fruit is the result of, of a seed being planted in the ground, being watered with the nutrition and the weather. The apple is the result. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, meekness, kindness. Those things in Caleb's life are a result of being plugged into Christ. Right? If I decide to be plugged into the bar, if I decide to be plugged into this and that and the other thing, if I decide to be plugged, then the result of that is gonna be bitterness, envy, jealousy, hatred. If I decide to be... If I decide to be plugged into, man, I gotta, I gotta win this race we call life, I gotta do this, I gotta, then the result of that is something else. In John's case, he starts out as the sons of thunder, one of the, one of the two sons of thunder, and he ends up being the one whom Jesus loved. He ends up being a changed man because of the fruit of the Spirit, because he was plugged into what Jesus was doing and who Jesus is we live in a generation that is incredibly by my uh, estimation is just incredibly incredibly confused scripture says woe unto us when we call good evil and we call evil good there's so much craziness in the world around us the question is does does God relate to our lives? Is God real? Is there any is there any presence there? And John comes out right from the very beginning when we look at the book of John. He comes right up from the beginning and he says, God knows it all. He knows every aspect of your life and he wants to be plugged in. He wants you to plug into who he is. There was a song in the 90s, probably 95 I think it was. John Osborne wrote a song. What if God was one of us? I don't remember much of it, but I remember, what if God was one of us? Just a slob like one of us. Just a stranger on the bus. And the whole thing is, what would we call him? Who would he be? I don't think he was one of us, and yet he was one of us. He was fully God, yet he was fully man. He went through the same trials, the same struggles, the same things that we've gone through. And so with that as our setup, I want to start looking at John chapter 1 in verse 1. Again, I started with 48 pages just to get through 18 verses, so we'll see how far we get. But we got weeks to finish. John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. That phrase sound familiar to us at all? In the beginning? Where do we read about that? Genesis chapter one, right? In the beginning, the first three words of scripture, John pulls out that same card. Now the goal of communication is clarity. The 10 commandments has 297 words. The Bill of Rights has 463 words. Gettysburg Address, Lincoln's Gettysburg Address, 266 words. Recently, a federal directive was written to regulate the price of cabbage. And there's 26,911 words in that document. More is not always better. Verse 1 of John chapter 1 contains 17 words, 17 very powerful words in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word 
was God. 17 words. In the beginning. I don't think it's a coincidence. I don't think it's a coincidence that John starts with in the beginning, just like God started with in the beginning in Genesis. John starts out by revealing the end of the story. He revealed, this is like any, I know, any football fans, don't, you don't have to say you're Vikings fans. Okay. Football, this is like starting the football season with the Super Bowl. That's what it's like, and then playing the rest of the games. That's what John's doing here. Okay, not football fans, race fans. Right, right. The Indianapolis 500 is the first race of the season. It's like having the first, the biggest race of the year is the first race of the year. That's how John starts out. Is this, what? Dessert first, yeah, yeah. Yeah, now we got it. Dessert first, okay? So we're gonna start our next pot blessing with dessert first. That's what John's doing here. We just think on a different level, that's all. It's good, it's good. Another way of stating this is when the beginning began, the word was already there. John starts by using the words of Genesis chapter one and verse one. And so he's taking his readers, he's taking these, these Christians who he's writing to, the followers of Jesus, and he's saying, what I want you to get is there's a, there's a, there's a beginning, there's another beginning here. Right from the very foundation, before the foundation of the world, Jesus was there. God's eternal. Jesus is the God of yesterday, he's the God of today, and he's the God of tomorrow. So when we say, well, is God interested in my life? Does Jesus really have anything to say about my life? He knows every detail of your life, every detail. He was there before you were born, before you were created, before your parents and your grandparents and your great-great-grandparents, before your whole family line. He knows if you're actually from India or from Norway. He actually has got that 23andMe thing down. He knows exactly where you came from. Everything there is about you. Not only that, he knows the end. He knows the answer. It doesn't pay whether you worry. You don't, don't worry because it's not gonna add a single hair to your head. It's not gonna, he, I know every hair on your head. Don't worry about it. I know it all. Some that's easier counting than others, the hairs on our head. Mine, it's getting easier all the time. But it gets better. It gets better. Not only is verse one the same, but listen to this. The first five verses of the book of Genesis, this just got me, I didn't read this till last night. Genesis chapter one, verses one through five. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness, darkness, hear that, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. Little side note, that light's not the sun. He doesn't create the sun until a little bit later. He creates light before he creates the S-U-N. He creates light before he creates the sun. How do you do that? I don't know. I don't know. He big monofilament? I don't know. He spoke and it was light. He created light before he created the sun. That's a kick. To me, that's a kick. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night and there was evening and there was morning, the end of the first day. Has anything yet been able to overcome light? Is there any amount of darkness that can overcome light? How dark, we can make this room pretty darn dark. 
We went, Annette and I went, we took the kids and we went to the Tower Sedan Mine in Tower, Minnesota. Anybody ever been in the Tower Sedan Mine? It's a trip. Okay, you go down an elevator shaft. The elevator shaft is two miles long and it's a wooden box that goes and you're not sure you're gonna get back up. And it doesn't go straight down. It goes down at an angle. So you end up a mile away from where you started. Underground. And they tell you, okay, now you're underground. There's no natural light here. You don't got to worry about the power going out because it's, there's a natural draft. We'll get oxygen. You don't got to worry about that. That's good. I'll take that off my list. And they get down there and they tell you, okay, hang on to something. We're going to shut the lights off. And I'm thinking... I've been in a dark room before. No, 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 hang on to something. So I back up against this rock. I figured, oh, I I got this. I got this kind of handled. And they shut the lights off. Those of you who've been there, how dark does it get? Absolute black. You cannot see your hand in front. You can't. You cannot. I mean, you can wait for your eyes to adjust and think, okay, it's coming. And they're saying, it ain't gonna happen. You can't see, you can see nothing. It's so bad that you don't know after just a very short period of time, you don't dare let go of anything because you don't know what's up and what's down. It's ridiculously dark. Do you know what overcomes that amount of darkness? Just a little bitty light, just a match, just a spark. That's all, that darkness cannot remain, if we have any amount of light at all, it cannot overcome light, right? You all, we know that to be true. Now, now look at what John says. John says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So the word here, he's talking about the logos, the, the, the spiritual word of God. He's talking about Christ. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him, in Christ, was life, and that life was the light of mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it, cannot overcome Darkness, no matter how much darkness you have in your life, it cannot overcome the light that comes through Christ. It cannot. I don't care how dark it is. You say, I've got despair, I've got trouble, I've got difficulty. I get it. But if we submit to Christ, his life is light, and that light cannot be overcome with darkness. Five verses. Five verses. In five verses, he has mirrored what Genesis says, what Moses wrote in the book of Genesis about God being there from the beginning and about God speaking light without the S-U-N, sun. And yet here we have five verses, God speaks light through the S-O-N, through the sun. We don't need a sun to get light because we got the sun who is life and light. Right? Whew, I like this book. In, in five verses, he's comparing Jesus to life and to light. 
The light in Genesis is real. The light in Genesis has not been overcome by darkness. And the light in Christ cannot be overcome by darkness. I know that we face difficult times. We face struggles. But I'm telling you, if you'll submit your life to Christ, if we're honestly willing to make that turn, I've shared this with you before. I know I have. I have people sit across my desk all the time. They sit across me and say, but pastor, I tried the God thing. I'm not talking about trying the God thing. I'm not talking about trying to be better. I'm not talking about trying to change our lives all by ourselves. What I'm talking about is how do we plug into Christ and let the fruit of love and joy and peace, how do we let that come out as we plug into him? It is a byproduct it's a byproduct. When I lived in Hibbing, we had a natural, uh, we had the, the power plant downtown in downtown Hibbing. And uh, I worked at American Linen. We were right across the street. We did not prove, we needed, we needed electricity to run the plant. We needed air uh, for our air compressors to run the plant. And we needed steam. The only thing that we, that we produced, if you will, that we, was, was the air, air. We had a big air compressor. The city used big turbines to produce electricity, and they, they burned coal in order to do that, and then in order to keep the plants running, they had uh, water to cool these turbines, and that water produced steam. Now, the city didn't make steam. Steam was a byproduct of cooling these big towers, but that byproduct not only heated our plant, not only uh, ran what normally would have been boiler-operated equipment, but it also heated over half of the city of Hibbing just from the byproduct from cooling the towers. It's the byproduct of love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, meekness, kindness, temperance. The Bible says there's no law against any of that. There are no rules against loving too much. There's no rules against having too much. Oh, that's about enough peace. You can't have any more peace in your life. That's enough. Joy, too much joy over in this corner. You can't have any more joy. That's it. That's all you get. There's a rule. You only get 17 laughs an hour. That's it. No more smiles than that. According to Paul, there's no law against having a good time in Christ. There's no law against love, joy, patience. No, no, you just have too much patience. That is all there is to it. You gotta get a little ornery every now and again. You just got too much patience in your life. Peace? No, 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 no. Every life needs a, a fair bit of turmoil. We want you to react out of turmoil. What happens when we react out of turmoil? Not good things, right? You really got bad results. Everything I've had to apologize to my children for over the years has come when I have been angry not when I've been peaceful. I've never had to say, oh, I'm just so sorry, daddy loved you too much. That didn't happen, right? And yet I've had to apologize, right? And I've done it, but not because I was too happy. That's the fruit. Jesus is there in the beginning. Jesus is, is distinct from the Father. He was with God, the word says. He existed from eternity past with the Father, so he knows the Father's message. He knows the ultimate plan for our life. He knows God's will for our life. He knows what God wants to see for us. He's not just another name for the Father. He is unique and distinct, and yet at the same time, Jesus is completely divine. He is deity. He is God. He was God. He was with God. He was God. There's no question about who he is. He is God. 
He's not the Father, he's the Son, but he's God. If that doesn't confuse you, I don't know what does. It's a confusing concept. He's eternally God, he's equal with God, he's, he's the essence of God. There are some groups that say, well, you know, he's not really the big God, he's like a little God. And so we're gonna change that from a big G to a little G. He's God. He was there in the beginning. The Bible says nothing that was created was created without him. I don't have the, I, got, I think sometimes I'm pretty creative, but I gotta start with something. You know, if I wanna build a cabinet or if I wanna build a shelf, I can build a shelf. I actually modified a snowblower to fit on my skid steer this past week. But you know what? I started with metal. I didn't make the metal. And even the guys who made the metal started with rock. They didn't make the rock. Even the guys who dug it out of the ground. I don't care how creative we are. We don't create anything right from the, right from the nuts and right from the very beginning, boom. We gotta start with something. And yet the word says Jesus was there. Nothing that has been created was created without him. He's God. There's no little G to that. He's big G God, right? He's also the son. Okay, we'll get there. First John chapter six, I just will get through this part. We're gonna come back next week, it's all right. First John chapter one, starting in verse six. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now this is not John the disciple that we're talking about. This is John the Baptist, he's another John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light. What light? The light that was the life of the world, right? He came concerned to testify concerning the light so that all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. He's like, I'm gonna tell you who the light is. I'm not the light, but I'm gonna tell you who the light is. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming to the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. So Jesus was born, he's about 30 years old. He's in the world. He created the world, and yet the world didn't recognize him. <coughs> so John says, I'm the one who, John the Baptist said, I'm coming, God has sent me out here to point out who the light is. Uh, verse 11, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Verse 12, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor of the husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. If that doesn't make you smile, you got, you got, you got to get a hold of it. He, he, the word became flesh and he made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and full of truth. John said, I'm coming to tell you that there's one who's coming, Jesus, and he goes to his people first. What that means is Jesus was born of Jewish descent, so he went to the Jews first, and the Jews didn't believe him, so he said, all right, that's fine. You all don't want to become much. Then I'm going to go out to everybody else and anybody else who believes in me can become my, my child. That should be a thank God moment for us because you know what? I'm not Jewish. If the Jews had all received Jesus, I don't know what would have happened. But God knew from the beginning. He knows the beginning from the middle, from the end. He knew what was going to happen. And so he says, here, I came to the Jews and they didn't receive me. So anybody who does receive him, John's like, 
I'm telling you, that light's coming. Now, get the, here's, most commentaries take that uh, chapter one, verse one through verse 14, and they kind of, that's where they end the block. I don't think we can end there. John chapter one, verse 15. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me surpasses me because he was before me. John says, there's somebody who's coming. I can't even tie the sandals, tie the laces on his sandals because he's so much better. He was here before I was here and yet he's coming after me. Verse 16, talking about Jesus. Out of his fullness, we have received grace in place of grace already given. We've received grace out of Jesus' fullness. We have received grace. We've received grace in place of the grace that's already given. You see, there's a grace that's given, and we got that. But now this grace we receive in place of that grace. The very next line says... For the law was given through Moses. The grace of the law, the grace of the Old Testament says that the Old Testament points out that no matter what you do, you're going to, we're gonna fail. We can't fulfill all of the rules and the regulations of the Old Testament. You need a redeemer. That's the grace of the law. It points us towards a Messiah. It points us towards somebody who's greater than, and here he says, John says, the, out of the fullness of Jesus, out, out of the fullness of Jesus, there we received a grace in place of the grace that was already given. In place of the law, we've received a grace, for the law was given through Moses, and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who himself, uh, who is himself God, and is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. So Jesus, the Word, became flesh, the Word of God, the, the presence of God the, became flesh and he dwelt among us and his grace in its fullness replaces the grace of the old covenant of the Old Testament. We have a new life and new light in Christ Jesus that not just says, you know, the Old Testament says, you're, you're, you're going too fast, you're speeding, this is sin, that's wrong, don't do this, don't do that, don't do that. Jesus comes along and says, this is what you need right here is the grace. I came not to do away with the old, but to fulfill it. And when I fulfill it, all you need to do is put your hope and your trust and your confidence in me. Everybody got a piece of paper, you got a book, you got something in your hand. Everybody should put something in your hand. You need a piece of paper, get something in your hand. Take, hold something, I want you to hold something. Grab a bulletin, hold something. Everybody got something? Everybody got something, hold it, hold it up, hold it up, you got something, everybody has something. Now what I want you to do is hold it up, hold it up in front of your face and I want you to look at me. Hold it close but look at me. Everybody, what do you see? You don't see me, right? Hold it, keep it there, keep it there. Am I still here? You can hear me, right? You know that I'm here. But do you see me? Okay, put it down. That piece of paper, that little book, the baby in this case, whatever it takes, is a representation of Christ. You see, when God looks at Christ, he knows that Raymond's on the backside, but the grace that he's given says, if Raymond's in me, all I see is this picture of Christ. 
I see Christ, I don't see Raymond. That is a grace that supersedes the grace that was given previously. That's a New Testament grace. God's saying, you know what? I know Molly's over here. I know she's there. But I see Jesus instead of Molly. Peekaboo. I see Caleb. Caleb's there, but I see Christ. I know Swan's there. I know Molly's there. I know, but what I see is Christ. That's the grace that we're given. You say, well, what does Jesus have to do with my life? Everything. He knew you before you were formed. The Bible says that God knit you together in your mother's womb. Get that picture. And I'm here to tell you, Jesus was there when it happened. He knit you together. There's nothing about you that he does not know. John says, I want to tell you about this Jesus. I want to give you the story. I want to tell you, I'm an I'm a 85-year-old man. I've gone from wanting to call down thunder and being called the sons of thunder to I'm a guy who just, I want to see God's love and his grace spread through your life. Let me tell you about the Jesus that I've touched, about the Jesus that I've walked with, about the Jesus that I sat on the beach with, about the Jesus that I had a barbecue with. Let me tell you about that kind of grace. Let me tell you about that kind of love. That's what we're going to look at in the next several weeks. Amen? Father, I just thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your word. I thank you that you had spoke to men and women throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament. They wrote down the words that you had them write down. Their personality is in there. Their experience is in there. Their life is in there. But here is a testimony of a man who's talking about his relationship with Christ, your son. And he's telling us about the grace that you and I, that each one of us, have because of Christ Jesus. God, I pray you'll bring these words to life, bring them to light in our heart in the next coming months, in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. God bless you. Have a great day, and know that God wants to do life with you. Amen? Amen. Amen.